Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash CNN for a $1 per month trial. Hi, everyone. It's Krista, one of the producers of the CNN Political Briefing. David Chalian is off for the holidays, so I wanted to share with you one of our favorite podcasts. Margins of Error is a new series hosted by CNN's resident numbers guy, Harry Enten. He explores how statistics can often tell a surprising story about who we are. In this episode, Harry discovers why more and more people are avoiding the telephone these days. It has all kinds of implications, not just for political polling, but also how we connect with one another. We'll be back tomorrow with a special episode. We'll look back at President Joe Biden's first year in office, the good, the bad, and everything in between. Enjoy listening and happy holidays. When my father was with us, we had a deal. Whenever he needed something on the internet, he asked me to do it for him. Whenever I needed something that required a phone call, well, he did it for me. We were a team. Unfortunately, when he passed in 2015, I needed to face something about myself. I had to make phone calls. It's something, to be honest, I still struggle with today, but it turns out a lot of folks struggle with the same thing. So I just want to give you a stat that I think is really interesting about folks in our generation, and it's as follows. Two-thirds of young people say that they prefer to communicate with friends and family by text messaging or email rather than making a phone call. I got to say, that strikes me as maybe low. That's Neil Payne. I write about sports for 538, and I think I'm Harry's best friend. He is. He's my best friend. He's a guy I'm in touch with pretty much every day. I think we have... Uh, a G-chat thread, an email thread, a text thread, another text thread, and then a group G-chat that we've named after our friend Vinny, who also goes by Ken. Correct. Yeah, I feel it was so much more common, even 15 years ago, 20 certainly, 20, 30 years ago, where people would call up other people, you know, just to, just to chat, just to see what's going on. And nobody at least in our age bracket, does that anymore. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's, it's unthinkable to do that. Shalom. I'm Harry Enten. I'm usually the CNN election stats guy, but I spend my life thinking about all kinds of stats. And this is Margins of Error. In each episode, we're going to take a little piece of data that might normally be overlooked and explore what it tells us about our world. Today, we're going to go deep on the phone call to find out why, for people like me, even the idea of making a phone call freaks us out. It's pretty clear that changing attitudes about the phone is causing, well, dare I say, real anxiety. And this isn't just in my personal life. The change in attitudes about phones is directly affecting national opinion polling. Most are done online these days, yet among the rare telephone polls, those who respond, they tend to be older. So one thing that jumps out is that the older individuals are probably retired. They probably have the time to answer the phone and come from maybe a culture of phone answering more so, whereas the younger people probably won't answer the phone unless they like know who is calling according to the caller ID. So like a random number calling them. I know for me, I'm going to give that the old decline. If you called me in the middle of the day and didn't text me and say, hey, this is important as like a preface, I might decline it. <laughs> I got stuff going on. I'm busy. Sorry. 
I think that's an interesting point. I think actually corresponds decently well with the fact that during the pandemic, response rates across ages was actually up. They just want somebody to talk to. That's right. I think the telephone is almost in some kind of uncanny valley between like seeing someone's face and like the range of their emotions and and body language, like the FaceTime, where you can convey so much more. And, you know, it's not perfect, as we've learned over the past year. It's not a great substitute for talking to someone in person, but it's not awful. I think you hit on something there. If I'm going to actually talk with you and take the time to talk with you, I want to see you. I want your attention. And if you are going to be on the phone with somebody, I don't necessarily have your full attention. They could be doing anything. So I brought Neil in to talk about phones because I have something, well, that I need to confess. Not only do I hate talking on the phone, but that deal I had with my father... It's not the only arrangement I had to avoid making phone calls. How often would you say that you've made phone calls for me? Well, now you don't live with me, but when you were younger, um, anytime you needed a phone call made, I made it for you. That's Dr. Barbara Strasberg, my mom. How about I use Seamless? to order food so that I don't have to talk with anybody. And then what happens when the seamless screws up and they're way late or I didn't get the confirmation email? I have to call. And that's true even now. Generally, what goes through your mind when I ask you to make a phone call for me? What did I do wrong? That my son can't make his own phone call. When will he grow up and be able to communicate in this way? I mean, you could be in front of a hundred, a thousand people, and it won't bother you. And yet you can't do that with all the other strengths you have. At least you acknowledge that I have some strengths. Oh, you have a lot of strengths. (laughs) If you could see the face that I'm making right now and how red I am. Oh, you could... As as well you should be. Oh. I don't think I knew that. So your mother, even to this day, if if you need to make a phone call to like a restaurant because they messed up your order, she makes the call for you. Occasionally, yes, that is true. It, It does happen. You're surrounded by these enablers for your phone phobia. Now, I'm not sure I'd call my mom an enabler. I think she honestly just wants to help me out, especially over the past few years now that I no longer have that quid pro quo with pops. But it's not just me. When I talk to experts, I learn that phone anxiety isn't really its own thing. Rather, it's just another example of the anxiety that most of us feel at some point in our lives. Social anxiety tells us two lies. One is that the worst case scenario is bound to happen. The worst case scenario is a foregone conclusion. And the second lie is we can't handle it. We can't handle the blips and bloops that social life throws at us. But through practice and, you know, questioning our social anxiety, we can refute those two lies. That's Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, a clinical assistant professor at Boston University's Center for Anxiety and Related Disorders. 
and the author of How to Be Yourself, Quiet Your Inner Critic and Rise Above Social Anxiety. What would you say are a few of the top reasons why people might suffer from phone anxiety? Let's do 10,000 foot view first. So if we're going with the premise that phone anxiety is lies under that umbrella of social anxiety, then social anxiety is essentially the fear of being judged. So if we now zoom in and we look at phone anxiety, the reasons that I'm mostly here are I'll go blank, you know, I'll freeze, I won't know what to say. Another big category is I'll bother them. I'm going to be annoying. And there's kind of a catch-all category of they're going to think something negative of me. They're going to think I'm stupid. They're going to think I'm boring. So lots of different reasons. We always think about the, the worst outcome that could happen in the face of uncertainty. Do you have any idea of sort of what the numbers are, like how many people might suffer X or what the difference are in some of those buckets, even if it's not exact numbers, sort of generally in what you've seen? So in terms of social anxiety in general, so 13% of Americans at some point in their life will be able to be diagnosed with social anxiety disorder. And so that's what I call capital S social anxiety. So 13% is a lot of people. That is the third most common psychiatric diagnosis behind depression and alcoholism. That said, if you ask people, are you shy? Like, do you identify as as shy? 40% of people will say yes. And shy is just the colloquial way of saying socially anxious. So that's an even bigger boat. Then if you change the question again, and you ask, have you ever been shy? Like, were you shy as a child? Were you awkward as a teenager? Then that number rockets up to 80%. So the vast majority of us can identify and empathize with that feeling of struggling with social anxiety at some point in life. That's a stat worth repeating. 80%. That's four out of five teenagers. The good news is that something I heard constantly from the experts is like any anxiety, the reality is often far better than what we fear. The way to close that gap? Practice. And in my case, just making that phone call. But if I don't know how to do it well, how can I practice it well? Coming up in a bit, we'll meet my phone coach, known as the phone lady. Hey folks, we're back. Today we're looking at the changing nature of the phone call. Why if you're a young person, you probably hate it. How it's changing the way we communicate and what we can do about it. One thing you can do about it is bring in a coach. Meet Mary Jane Cops, AKA the phone lady. She helps people communicate more effectively on the phone. If I put you behind the wheel of a car to drive the car and you didn't know anything about driving the car, you would be anxious. If I hand you a phone and say, here, make some calls, or here, answer this when it rings, and you've never done either of those things before, you're going to be anxious. So for decades, those skills were given to us when we were little, because everybody had a house phone. But as soon as house phones started to disappear and these became 
sorry, I've got my cell phone in my hand. Um, these cell phones are not really phones. So we don't even have to develop those skills. Most people don't recognize it as a skill, but it is a skill. You have to learn how to talk on the phone to get comfortable with it, just like any other skill. So this would suggest to me, in some sort of sense, that the way you have to confront it is by actually doing it. It's like practice makes perfect in some sense. Yes. I compare conversation a lot of the time to jazz music. So Chick Corea, who recently died and was a famous jazz artist, says improvisation is only possible with practice. So we can't get good on the phone. We can't have great conversations if we don't practice. Well, I can say this. And that is, I don't ever remember anyone teaching me how to use a phone. It just was sort of, oh, here you go. You're allowed to speak on the phone now. It was expected. Mr. Payne, who's, I believe, slightly older than I am, I'm interested in your thoughts. Yeah, I had the same reaction when I heard that. I think it was expected to be done through osmosis. So yeah, I mean, driving a car is something that you are like sat down in the driver's seat and you're taught, here's how you do it. Please don't embarrass yourself at the driver's test. Let's drive around the parking lot of this mall until you can be trusted not to hit someone. So yeah, I think it's a little different. Like I clearly remember learning how to drive, but don't remember phone training. But maybe that's like something I was missing. Maybe both of us, we just weren't trained how to use the phone. And, and it's led to many problems down the line. It's exactly right. Speaking of that, I got to ask you, which do you find to be scarier, you know, scarier perhaps in quotes, the inbound call, that is you have to, you know, pick it up or the outbound call where you have to talk with somebody and they're the ones who have to pick it up? That's a good question. Um, is the inbound call something that I know is going to happen ahead of time? Or is it something that happens like spur of the moment? Like I'm just kind of sitting minding my own business and someone calls me. It's not something that you know is going to happen beforehand. Then that type of inbound call is better just because I don't have time to psych myself out or whatever. But if I know someone is going to call me like ahead of time we planned on and they'll be like, I'll, I'll call you at 2 p.m. or something like that. I will start to feel anxious at like 1.45. But I think if someone cold calls and I don't know it's coming, it's more of like a, a reaction. I'm not thinking. Interestingly, we did get Mary Jane Cops to tell us that it's about 50-50 when it comes to the inbound versus the outbound call? The inbound is really about not being ready, not being prepared. It's 100% the unknown. You can have information in front of you, but you have no idea who this person is or why they're calling. On an outbound, you can have your talking points, you can have a script, you can be ready, but you have no idea how the other person is going to react. 
our fears are more based in they're not going to take my call, they're not going to talk to me, they're going to laugh at me for calling them, all of those type of rejection. It's a lot like public speaking. So we wouldn't get up in front of an audience and give a speech without practicing. And some people feel that same level of anxiety when it comes to talking on the phone. It's interesting to me because I've actually gone up in front of audiences not knowing exactly what I was going to say without the exact notes. And I find that to be far less scary than having to pick up a phone and not knowing who's necessarily going to uh, be on the other line and what it is that they're exactly looking for. I do think that when people cold call you generally, it's almost like the bar is lower. So it's sort of like less is expected of you because it's sort of accounted for where it's like, okay, I'm cold calling this person. I'm gonna read you another stat here. A majority of baby boomers now also have smartphones, according to a Washington Post poll last year. And that can be a big problem when it comes to phone phobia. It's any generation now that has spent more time on screens with their fingers than talking. And like any skill, you can lose your comfort level with it if you're not using it. That's the phone lady, Mary Jane Cops again. So phone phobia isn't just a problem among young people. Phone phobia can occur no matter your age. And that leads to a lot of people seeking out help in order to be more comfortable on the phone. And a lot of people to Mary Jane's training sessions over the years. Um, definitely over 14,000. I haven't added up in a while, but it, with some of the bigger financial companies that I work with, I've done training sessions with 900 people on a call. I'm sorry, 900 people will join in on a call from a business because they need to be able to learn how to use the phone. Yes, they need to adjust their skills, improve their skills, yes. That's a great example of if you think you're alone in this, you're definitely not alone. A lot of people need this. Yeah, you're not alone. I, I have to admit, Neil, I don't know if it's the same with you. I was stunned stunned when I heard some of those stats that uh, Mary Jane was going over. I was impressed that what's the opposite of phone phobia? She's on a phone call with 900 people. Like, you're afraid to be, and I'm afraid to be on the phone with one person. She's on with 900. <laughs> going back to what you said, you're not alone that there are so many people out there and it does cut across different age groups because I did sort of suspect that younger people and maybe people outside the business world were the ones that were struggling with this the most. And so to hear that in conjunction with the fact that there are baby boomers that have the multiple phones and the different lines and they suffer from this too is something that... I don't think occurred to me because it was a question of whether talking on the phone was native to your experience growing up. None of us want to do things that we think we're poor at doing, right? We want to do things that we think we're good at doing, or if we're poor, we want to be able to practice and have sort of, you know, that rope that's around us to be able to pull us back. Yeah, you're operating without the net. And it sounds so silly because the, the subject of these calls is often something super innocuous. 
like calling for a pizza or something. You know, it's it's not, it's far from life or death. Although sometimes you can get pretty hungry. I guess part of me wants to uh, be able to overcome this. And I asked my own mom whether she thought that I could do so. I think you can. I'm not sure if you will. Because the older you get, the more set in your ways you get. So that's why. I mean, I know you can, but I'm not sure that you will. And you know what? You will, because I'm not going to be around to make those appointments for you. You're going to have to deal with it. Unless you hire someone, I guess that's easier. That's easier than having a mother. But then you'd have to talk to that person to explain and call that. No, you could probably do it on the internet. You could probably engage someone to make your phone calls for you without ever talking to anyone. Wouldn't that be the dream? Uh, it's, hey, it's a business. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't talked about yet? I love you. And I'd like you to call me more. <laughs> um, I'd like you to see your doctor on a regular basis, but I'll still be glad to make that appointment for you. So did she? I, I, I will. T- <laughs> you know, uh, as a matter of fact, I will admit that I took some advice from Mary Jane and from my mother, and I actually did make a call. Office, Elizabeth speaking. Hi, Elizabeth. This is Harry Enten. I'm hoping to make an appointment with Dr. Jones for some point in the near future. Sure. And what kind of appointment were you hoping to schedule? Just a regular checkup. Okay, no problem. Yeah, I do see that your last visit here was actually January of 2019, so you are overdue. So let's take a look. When were you hoping to schedule? I can usually fit it in where it needs to fit in as long as it's not too early in the morning. Look. At next week, I do see that we have the... Hey, look at that. That was textbook. That was a perfect uh, phone call. You should be proud. That's about it. I'll see you next week. Now, I doubt I'll have a perfect phone call every time out. But the lesson here, it's clear. The best way to overcome phone anxiety, regardless of how much you've been trained to use a phone, or if you've ever used a phone to make phone calls, is simply to practice Practice, practice. It may not make perfect, but if nothing else, it'll at least make my mother momentarily happy. And by the way, just in case you were wondering, the appointment went off without a hitch. Apparently, I am mostly a healthy and happy young man. Though perhaps I should lay off the Popeyes. So the only question I had left was even if we know how to use a phone, will we need to use it? Or will the phone call simply go away? I guess I think that in some way, shape, or form, you'll always have the audio-only option because it's like, how many times have we muted our video but kept our audio open in Zoom because we're like doing something else or we don't want people to see us rolling our eyes at what someone else said? But the cell phone itself, obviously, 
is thriving and will continue to become more prevalent, especially since that's how a lot of people access the internet. Uh, and so in that sense, I think communication through these devices is only going to become more and more the dominant mode that we talk to each other through. It's going to be through these these magical smartphone-like devices that also do everything for us in addition to just voice calls. I think you hit on something big there, and that is that the voice will be seen as one component. I don't know if it'll ever go away, right? The cell phone recreated itself in a way that the landline couldn't, and that is why the cell phone is going to thrive. Margins of Error is a production of CNN Audio and Magnificent Noise. It's produced by Sabrina Farhi, Eva Walchover, Jesse Baker, Megan Marcus, and Ashley Lusk, with support from Lindsay Abrams and Rafina Ahmad. Our sound designer is Kristen Muller. Our executive producer is Eric Newsom. And I'm Harry Enton.